He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, September 18, 2021. Another day where Donald Trump makes a fool of himself, endorsing those January 6th protesters, says that the people arrested are being persecuted. My God, who will follow that guy? A lot of Republicans in Cult 45, we talk about it in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge with Mario Nicholas, but first we talked to Carol McKinley. We talked to her about Barry Morphew. Carol, working for the Denver Gazette, interviewed me, and I predicted a bail would be set. Told her I would not be surprised because this is not a slam-dunk murder case, but there's a lot of damning evidence against Barry Morphew. We talked about what happened Friday afternoon in the courtroom with Carol McKinley to lead off the show. Mario and I get into Barry Morphew and a whole bunch of other things. Heidi Ganahl, George Brockler, how the Republican Party needs to reform. It's a great discussion, but we have a classic Dave Gunder's Troubadour song. I Give Thanks is a special tribute to this world, God, his daughter, Rachel, you have to hear it. Please do. Enjoy the show. Let me tell you what we do and we don't do at Springer and Steinberg. We do almost everything. We do not do end-of-life planning. That's Michael Bailey. But for all your other legal needs, give me a call. 303-861-2800. 303-861-2800. I look forward to speaking with you. Michael Bailey, you've been a lawyer for a decade and a half. I have that beat because I'm a lot older, but you and I have something in common. Uh, we both pride ourselves on being good attorneys and I've shared with you a little list I have, 20 ways to be a good lawyer. Do you want to go through a few of these right now? And we'll keep going on future talks. What about number one, behave yourself? What does that mean to you? A whole slew of things that you can do as an attorney that are unbecoming or unseemly. You know, whether you break the ethical rules or if you just do things that are a little bit sneaky and underhanded, there's no need to do that. You do it the right way. You do it above board. They need a steady, reliable person like you. Give out your contact information. Sure. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. That's how you get a hold of me. I mean, my my website is michaelbaileylawllc.com. And again, that's michaelbaileylawllc.com. You can get a hold of me that way, too. If you want to keep following this story, then please subscribe on whatever 
podcast medium by which you acquire this sound, and then leave a positive review. Push the podcast to your friends. Let them listen. Thank you. Gosh, this is great. Carol McKinley, Salida, Colorado, big preliminary hearing, bond hearing. We got a ruling from Judge Patrick Murphy, and he was no shrinking violet, to coin a phrase that I used uh, with Carol McKinley talking about Linda Stanley, the DA, but Judge Murphy had his say today. He was pretty much the star of the show. Wouldn't you agree, Carol? Boy, he really was. He 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 knows the case like the back of his hand now. I'm sure he spent the last three weeks. I mean, you could tell he really cared about about his decision and and really he must have wrestled over that thing. You could tell just by the way he he made his explanations, right? I, I, I don't followed think anyone along was on unhappy. Twitter. You were brilliant. Other reporters, I I felt like I was in the courtroom, but really I think about Judge Murphy, his pedigree is sort of like mine, Denver public school kid. He worked in the Denver system as public defender, found his way down to uh, that beautiful part of the world, Chapey County, Salida. He's the chief judge there. But you, I told you, you were good enough to interview me, that I thought probable cause would be found, but that he would have to set a bail. And that's what happened. And you were right. You were right. You uh, You nailed it. Thank you, but, you know, but it, he, it's not that tough a call it. if you've been around this system and you study the evidence in this case. As he put it toward the end, yeah, there's a lot of stuff against you, Barry, and he went through it. He did. You know, yeah. you know, one of the things that really hit me was she was on her phone all the time, and suddenly it went silent. Where did she go? Where is that phone? We haven't even found the phone yet. Uh, you know, why Why did you go to Broomfield on Sunday at five in the morning when you knew you couldn't work that day? After why did you, you go to so many trash cans? She's an angel, but you're not going to be with her on Mother's Day. And why are you going to Broomfield of all places? You don't have a job there till Monday. Yeah. So, so all those things are, um, I mean, they're a narrative that the, that the prosecution was pushing, right? And right. that's fine. That's that's the narrative. And that's the kind of thing where you got that just doesn't make sense. Why would he do that? But where's the physical evidence in this? It seemed to me the DNA really stuck in his craw, too. That unexplained, uh, the un, unidentified DNA that's on the glove box really bothered him. That's the public defender in him. No, but but there's he, he went through the evidence and. You talked to family members. Tell everybody what Barry did for this hearing. It wasn't just his daughters there in support of him. He brought a well, big I, part of Indiana with him. Yeah, I think his sister Marcy arranged all that, who's been in the courtroom this whole time with his two daughters and their mother. So Marcy, um, somehow they raised the money and brought friends from high school from way back. I talked to cousins today. Yeah. Uh, and this Children is a, of this cousins, is a small second, th- cousins second removed. Yeah, Alexandria, Let, let's set the scene. We're talking about Alexandria, Indiana, and it's a mm-hmm. small town, but they were well known there. It's it, everybody knew Gene's root beer, and everybody knew about Barry Morphew because he was a high school sports star. This is kind of a small town story, 
from Indiana and a small town story in Salida, Colorado. Two small towns. A small town tragedy, yeah. Yeah. And one's a mountain town and one's a farm town. Right. You know, really, you know, salt of the earth people live there. And Jeff Labler grew up there. And boy, it sounds like the judge made him an alternate suspect. Well, yeah. And, you know, that's what, uh, when I was talking to Barry Morphew's family who came outside, they were all hugging they're all going to go to a pizza place. They're, you know, they're going to celebrate the fact that he gets out. And so um, they they all said, you know, we we wanted him to, they, we wanted the judge to throw the whole thing out. We don't think he did it. Uh, they they had all kinds of reasons for that, but they were they were pretty happy with with the rulings. I mean, they one one of the one of his friends even said, hey, there's red flags that bother me about Barry, but I still don't think he did it. Right, but you have to wonder with that whole Indiana contingent, especially the daughters, as Judge Murphy summarized all the damning circumstantial evidence against Barry Morphew, didn't you wonder, are any of them in the back of their mind saying, ooh, oh, I don't know? I don't know. I know, but, but didn't Murphy, M- Murphy laid out the case, right? He sure did. I mean, he laid it out. I, I wasn't expecting that, but he did. And I thought he did it. And everything he said was true. He didn't he didn't exacerbate. He didn't, um, you know. Um, right. He, he, he had the facts he didn't exaggerate. and the He took notes. Yeah, he did. He did. And, uh, you know, I mean, you, you want to see a judge who really find who takes these things really seriously. He's got a man's life in the balance. He's got a family's life in the balance, and but he's got a missing mother, and you know, and daughter, and sister. Right now, I, I mean, didn't study Suzanne's the case like gone. he did, but I heard the evidence from you and other reporters. I've read everything I can on the case, and I thought it was stuck uh, with obvious probable cause. But it's not a slam dunk case. The judge was going to have to set bail, and I bet Judge Murphy knew that. And I bet in the back of his mind, he thinks. Barry Morphew, you son of a bitch, you killed Suzanne. And you know what? I'm going to take four weeks to think about it, and you're going to sit in jail. And it might be the last time you ever spend in jail on this case, but I'm not bothered by that. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, he was, both sides were really mad at him when he didn't come up with a decision three weeks ago, when he didn't come up with right. it immediately. And Barry Morphew was mad. And he's like, too bad I run this courtroom. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I, I'm here to seek justice. If if everybody, I always tell people, if I do a story and everybody's mad at me, I must have done something right. <laughs> you know. But now we have a trial date, and I think there's going to yeah. be a trial. Will Judge Murphy be the trial judge? Will he what? Will he be the trial judge too? I would assume so. Wow. I don't think. I don't he, think anybody's... he's already kind of indicated. Well, he said. He said the jury could go either way, but if I were uh, selecting a jury, I'm not sure I'd put Judge Murphy on it. But it comes down to what's beyond a reasonable doubt, now, isn't it? And that's such a a point that I've been in the system for 40 years, and you can wrestle with that in your mind. It's such a burden of proof, and uh, well, I, you know I think what? there's um, going to be a trial. I don't think I don't see a plea bargain happening. Do you? No, he pled not guilty. I think he's he was kind of leaning back and, um, you know, looking confident from what people who were in that room told me that he, he he looked like he owned the room once the judge 
set bail. Now, here's, so, here's the prediction I that I, I had that didn't make much sense because there were new lawyers brought in, but I think I understand why. Jeff Lindsay did the arguing for Linda Stanley. That was kind of expected, right? But yeah, then, but then who did the arguing Connelly. for the defense? What did you think about that? Sean Connolly, the former, uh, he, he was an appellate court judge, right? With, with justice, with the Justice Department, is that right? Right. Uh, not judge, but I mean attorney. Right, he was an attorney with the uh, Justice Department. I know him so, a little bit, but I have my theory so on that. he handled the Oklahoma City bombing at Timothy McVeigh's appeal. Right, but... Which is, uh, we have so many unbelievable high-profile cases here in Denver and people with such great experience. I know, but you want to hear my theory why they brought in Sean Connolly for the probable cause argument? What? One, he's pretty good, and uh, I'm sure he made a, a record, but they were going to lose, and Iris and Drew don't want to lose. And then Iris stood up, right, and they did the bond hearing, and they argued the prosecution wanted a $10 million bond, and what did they argue for? Five hundred uh, for uh, let's see, I think fifty thousand. Right, but they kind of won the argument with the judge. He could have said five million, which might have been tough to make. And yeah, uh, I was interviewing Mario uh, Nicholas when you called. We were talking about Barry Morphew and Craig's Lawyers Lounge. But I hope you got an answer to the question. It's a five hundred thousand dollar cash bond, which means most bondsmen, if you give them fifteen percent, they will then say thank you for your money and they'll chase you down because they're committed to pay the court the rest of it, okay? Now, when he said cash only, maybe that precludes his surety. I'm not certain of that. That that would seem a little unfair, but uh, it sounds like he's going to get out on bond regardless. Does the Morphew family have big money? He got to sell the house, even though Suzanne's missing. That was strange. He made some money there. How much money do you think he has? Well, Iris and Drew don't, aren't cheap. Right, and then you bring in another high-priced lawyer, too? Yeah. I mean... Where's all this money know. coming from? Does the sister have money as well? I don't know. How did all these people come commercially to Colorado? I think they might have... I think they might have raised... Some of the people, you know, they were able to raise money for friends of Barry. But um, I'm not sure. I didn't ask him. And I, I mean, I don't know these personal money questions for Barry Morphew, but it's going to be expensive. I know, but a lot of people think this about money because uh, Suzanne's parents, uh, the mother had died and there was some estate there. Then the father died after she was gone and maybe he had money from running Gene's Root Beer, as we learned when we last had you on. These were established people who, I mean, hell, the house they bought in Salida was like a million and a half bucks. Well, they borrowed money from Suzanne's dad to buy that house. Right, and then he died, and did they have to pay it back? I don't know. I know, but these are fascinating things to think about. And now we have a trial. You and I have covered a lot of big cases in Colorado. McVeigh went to trial. That was fascinating. Nichols, his accomplice, escaped death penalty by one juror. I always remember that lady because uh, wow. she was a Jewish lady who went to Temple Emanuel where they don't like capital punishment. 
Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. It was fascinating. Huh. And I ended up at Temple Emmanuel last night at the end of Yom Kippur, which I talk about with my troubadour, Dave Gunders. But it's so good of you, Carol, to come on on this big Morphew Day. Tell us more about the atmospherics up there and what you learned. Oh, I think I pretty much told you. I know, but the family, when you talk to them, were they forthcoming? Are they going to mount a big PR campaign to portray? Um, That's a great question. There's been a gag put on the case now. The arrest affidavit's coming out Monday, which is going to be pretty big because it's 129 pages. So when that comes out... um, We'll learn a little bit more, but you were also talking about, you know, this time we wait until May for the trial. And I'm thinking lots could change. They might find her body, you know, and they're, they've been searching. They have never stopped searching, but they're really frantically searching now because the ground's going to be frozen pretty soon. Where are they searching? Well, the only place I know they're searching is up in the way up in the remote areas of the mountains, but I don't know where they are. Why would they search that specific spot? Well, they just don't. They think that she was killed by somebody. They think Barry killed her. But I mean, Barry's people say maybe maybe she was if she was going out with Jeff Libler, maybe she had another. Right. But why did they pick some specific mountain out there to search? They must have it connected some way to Barry. They must. But I know they don't have GPS from his truck because his truck sat in the driveway the whole night. So I'm not sure. What's bringing them to where they are? All right. Well, tell me this, because you are a veteran of big cases, and we went through the Jean Benet experience, which to me was unlike anything else. But you've been in a lot of big cases. How big is this? What was the press uh, contingent like in Salida, Colorado? And how big do you think this you will know, get? I, I've seen bigger. You know, like the preliminary hearing today, all the big shows were there. Dateline 2020, 48 hours. They were all there. You know, all the all the local TV and stations. And you were there for 2020. The usual. I was there for the Denver Gazette because oh, okay. I don't work for 2020 anymore. Okay. But, you know, so all, everybody was there. But I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I've, you know, something like McVeigh was bigger. This you know? is why I um, think it's going to be big because it it's... Like the judge said, it could go either way, and any one person is going to have to wrestle in their own mind with proof beyond reasonable doubt. It's easy to say Barry probably did it based on this, that, the other. Hell, the judge nailed him on the bicycle helmet. You planted it out there. It's pretty obvious you did that. Why did you do that, and why? <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and yet, you know, the jury in the end is going to, With good lawyering, and that's what I predict, I predict still, I don't think Sean Connolly will be a big part of the trial. I think that will be Iris and Drew. And uh, I just think this will go to trial, and it'll be good, and it will be a mystery. Have you thought about how this has some parallels to Jean Benet? Kind of a family of four, right? They're older, a, a cancer survivor in Suzanne, and then Barry coming on, TV or on the internet saying, I love her. Please bring her back safely. Like she's been Yeah, kidnapped. but they all do that. They all do that. 
Chris Watts did it. I, I don't really see a lot of parallels. Oh, well, I, I, I just do gr- because you're talking there's a grown that, woman. You're talking a wife, not a little girl. No, right, but you're talking about house. a sudden disappearance of a key member of a household. What the hell happened? Who did it? Was yeah, it a member John of the Benet, household the bo- or an intruder or what? Yeah, but in John Bonet, they had the body. They did have that, right? But I'm just, not saying it's exact, it. but. The thing that John, the, the nice thing about Jean <laughs> Benet was that it, it was a mystery. Who did it? Why? Why well, the, did? Yeah, it? this is a mystery for sure. Right. Yeah, I mean for sure. And you got a member of the family being suspected. Right, and it's not and, a and, mystery and, and, without And if clues. I might say, a, a member of the family family cruci- crucified in the press. I mean, Barry Morphy has been crucified in the press. Right. And part of the reason for that is because. The defense wasn't talking, and the press will go where there's a microphone. You know, where someone talks, we'll be there. But without a lot coming, you know, coming from Drew and Iris, who don't talk to the press, all we can do is present what we what we know from interviews and from documents. And all we've had is like, you know, hearings where the prosecution's presenting a case. So um, he, you know. I, I think if you asked Drew and Iris what their biggest challenge is, I think they'd say getting over the fact that he's been portrayed as a as a monster. Right. And they said it's conjecture, right? That's what Sean Connolly got up and said. It's all based on conjecture. And I looked that up to make sure I understood it. Yeah, and would you tell me what conjecture means? It, I tried it, to it's, it. it's an opinion based on incomplete information. And oh. if I was the defense attorney in this case, I'd get up in closing saying, you might have an idea of what happened. He got mad because he discovered an affair, or maybe it's this, maybe it's that. But you know what? For proof beyond a reasonable doubt, you have to know what happened. And that's why I was able to predict to you that the judge would struggle with murder after deliberation. I mean, how do you have right. no, that's a true. slam dunk that's case? That's true. And that's and the jury's going to struggle with that. And then they're going to look out at the daughters and say, whoa, if the two children who love their mother and they've heard all the evidence are still with dad, who are we to disagree? Now, people could say, gosh, you know, daughters, they need one parent. Look at the Mormon side of the family, Suzanne's side. They hate Barry. They're convinced he did it. Were any of them there today? No, no. In fact, I talked with Melinda Mormon, which is her big sister. And right. Melinda watched from um, from where she lives. Melinda watched the WebEx. There was a private WebEx, interestingly enough, only family could watch. And so um, they decided not to come. I mean, Suzanne's family's presence hasn't been, you know, physically in the courtroom this whole time. Right. Only Barry's family. But when she and was I think missing, that's a good decision. When, I mean, when she was missing, it's the Mormon siblings who came out and organized vast searches that Barry really didn't yeah. want to take part in. Her brother, yeah. Well, right. they they definitely think Barry did it. Suzanne's family is anti-Barry, and I'll tell you that is a tiny courtroom. I think you and I talked about the family feud aspect of this thing, but I mean, really, twenty-five seats. With COVID and everything and distancing. That stinks. With one family on one side and one family on the other. I don't know that there's going to be hardly any room for press and public. 
if they don't move this thing. So will it be on TV? That's what everybody wants to know. I say yes. Well, that's a great question. I think it That's will a great be. question. You think Murphy will go for TV? I do, because Colorado has a long and beautiful tradition. And from today's performance by him, I just gathered it from Twitter, but he's not a shy guy. And put the justice system on display. Let's have transparency. It's our system. He's being prosecuted by the people of the state of Colorado. Mm-hmm. I'm a Colorado guy. I want to watch. I know. I, I That would be great if they would. And I wonder if they put Barry on the stand. Would you? Hell no. <laughs> Why not? Oh, my gosh. There are just so many moves that he would have to explain that I think are problematic. I mean, I I'm, I'm with the judge. I think he probably did it. But could I say beyond a reasonable doubt? If, if there was a movie, okay, here's going to be a movie. Yeah. And it's going to show what happened between May 6th and May 10th. And yeah. do you think you would know every scene of the movie? I mean, if you're a good prosecutor, you have to fill in every scene. And they tried to, but you know that if you heard the trial and then watched the movie, you would expect there would be differences, right? Oh, you got that wrong. You weren't right, quite right about this. There's mm-hmm. tranquilizer... Uh, capsule has nothing to do with anything but tell everybody how the judge focused or the the lawyers everybody was talking about the tranquilizer cap was that a big deal the tranquilizer gun um well the tranquilizer gun is so bizarre when they talk to colorado parks and wildlife people who deal with tranquilizing animals they'd never heard of a tranquilizer gun being used on a human being i mean it's just it's fascinating. The prosecution thinks that since the tranquilizer gun that Barry had was broken, they are now saying that he just stabbed her with a dart hmm. and, you know, maybe surprised her and stabbed her with a dart and then chased her around and she eventually, her legs started getting wobbly and she, you know, fell. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, 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 that's why this uh, case is fascinating. It doesn't lack for clues. There are lots of little clues that people can take one way or the other. Carol McKinley, yeah. you are the best. Thanks for your great reporting oh, thanks, in the Craig, Denver Gazette. Great to talk to you. And I noticed your article was the top trending article there at the Gazette. It's more few. Uh, people people love a good a good whodunit. I agree. And they love great writing. And you bring the courtroom to life like no other reporter. And your tweets are wonderful, too. Way to go, Carol. Keep it up. Uh, Craig, thanks. We'll talk to you later and have a great night. You do. Have a great day. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye-bye. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined, it's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close 
Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right, and if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to LLC.com And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Welcome. Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Hello? Mario Nicholas. Craig, how are you, buddy? Good. Welcome back to the Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Do you know the last time you were here? I forgot the last time I was here. It wasn't that long ago. It was almost one year, which is a long time. September 26, 2020. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I, I guess I'm, I'm. Guess I'm just a September kind of guy. <laughs> it's around the high holidays. You're kind of religious. I'm kind of religious. <laughs> you wrote about your experience. You I just got through the high holidays, but you wrote about right. getting back inside your church. That was interesting. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I write. I write about the church pretty regularly. Um, I mean, I definitely write every year. I write actually right around uh, Holy Week. I write a. I write a column about Holy Week. It's something to do with it. Usually to do with Monday, Thursday, since it's my particular favorite day of the liturgical year within the Christian calendar. I still, I, you know, I, um, uh, and I won't take up too much of your time on this because I know you probably want to talk about other things. But We've got all the a, time in the world because you are well, an interesting, eclectic dude. And part of it is well, religious. And you say you write about it every year. Dare I yeah, say well, you write about it religiously. <laughs> well, it was interesting because I went to a, um, I went to a, um, um, a wedding over the weekend. So I had a buddy who got married on September 11th, um, in DC. So I flew out there. Um, and it was an, it was an Eastern Orthodox, uh, Christian wedding. Um, and what was interesting, I, I had never been in an Eastern, Eastern Orthodox church before, and they do not have the crucifixion. Um, Are you making center. us a cocktail? Because I would like. Uh, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm I'm feeding my my dogs. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was. It's just about dinner time for them, so I thought. No, that's oh, cool. I forgot to make them dinner. Um. Anyway, they they don't put the crucifixion front and center. Um. Um. And and someone was explaining all kind of some. It was beautiful, beautiful church. Um. And wow. they have they have a. They have usually a mural of Christ directly above the congregation. Um, and then to our front, there was actually, it was a picture of um, Mary holding a baby Christ. And the crucifixion, there was a mural of that there, but it wasn't the kind of the center focus as it is in most of Western Christianity. Um, and I, I kind of like that because I've always, 
for me, the reason I've always liked Monday Thursday, even though it's very of of all the of all the Holy Week days that get celebrated, I feel like it's the most overlooked because you have Holy Sunday, which is the week before Easter, then you have Good Friday, which is you know very you know a lot of people know Good Friday, and then there's of course Easter. Um, but Monday Thursday, I feel like is the most overlooked, but to me the most important because it's the day of the um, uh, it's the day of the Last Supper, and it's the day, and it also happens to be the day that the last lesson of Christ was taught, which is love one another. And to me, I've always I've always thought, you know, we put all this emphasis on Christ on the cross, and oh, you know, as, a, as Christians and died for our sins, and you know, and His death, and um, and I, I'm like, well. That, that kind of see first it, it's it's all about some sort of you know pain and suffering um also it seems to relieve us of any duty because we say hey he died for us and so it's done it's already done um literally that's what christ said when on the you cross, say us that doesn't yeah, necessarily include me and let me just say uh, no 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 I'm, I'm, i did I'm like about... the song monday monday by the mamas and the papas i thought that <laughs> had a good message and the love message is good i've been thinking about that through the high holiday well when i say us i'm talking about christians and, and the, the, and the christian theology and what they think is hey he died for us and that's what they that's what we say um and it's like well that seems to forgive you of any sort of need to do something seems yourself. Seems kind of easy, right? Yeah, yeah it seems kind of easy. Don't be a and Jew. Jews have to beat themselves <laughs> up on Yom Kippur, even Silverman, for God's right. sakes. It gets Exactly. Exactly. And so, versus, versus, I feel like Monday, Thursday, where you've got the Last Supper, and you have Christ's That's last lesson. That's a love one Seder. another. Say what it is. They were at yeah. a Seder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that, that is what they were at. Um, and so it's, it's just like, well, I mean, and that, that gives a charge to people to do something, but it's a pretty positive something. All you have to do is love other people. <laughs> right. Uh, but, so. but it gets a little complicated. And I don't know if you saw the rabbi, I can't remember his name, in the New York Times right before Yom Kippur and about forgiving people, letting grudges go. But we are going to get to bury more of you. Because, as I predicted in the Gazette when Carol McKinley interviewed me, I said it's going to be bound over, but he'll have to set a bond. Don't be surprised. Yeah. And that's just what happened. And it's going to be yeah. a dramatic case. But I bring it up because that's a big deal. You know, murder, you don't just, oh, we're going to let it go, Barry. You know, if you think the guy yeah. killed is, it's complicated. And you're a lawyer, I'm a lawyer. And you are a religious guy, too, and it kind of factors in, thou shalt not murder, but what is the burden of proof? And it is yeah. so subjective. Well, and I think, you know, what's interesting about this case, and in that case, um, I guess this case, um, but it's, it's, it's a lot like a lot of other cases we have right now, is um, there's yeah, this, missing there's this court of public... Yeah court of public opinion and an instant judgment versus what the you know actual judicial system is which is can i tell you what happened in and, court and in depth i've been following yeah, sure. this on twitter i'd like you to react he has his family there and he flew in a bunch of people from indiana and they're in the courtroom and judge murphy in finding probable cause lays out the damning case against Barry Morphew. but then he says you know as great as it is 
Maybe he discovered she was having an affair and he did something rather spontaneously. And it's hard to say there's a slam dunk first degree murder case, which is what you need for proof, evidence, presumption. Great. But he set a bail. But think about it. Judge Murphy took his sweet time, made him sit in jail for another month. Apparently, the gallery, the gallery from Indiana was very happy about this. And if he has his daughters on his side, they had two children who presumably loved their mom. I know there are weird dynamics, but if a jury sees that, that they side with the dad, it's hard to say you're going to prove that case beyond a reasonable doubt. Oh, yeah. I think, I think, and plus, I mean, I think the way the jurors are now, what, you know, what they view as reasonable doubt, especially in a post CSI world, <laughs> you know. I know, but um, like Barry took that. When, when you don't have a body, he was planting the helmet. They caught him doing that. He, he, he most likely, he probably killed his wife. That's what the judge just found it. You know, it's probable yeah, cause, sure. but. What is proof beyond reasonable doubt? It's not a vague doubt. It's not a speculative doubt. It's such doubt as would cause a reasonable person to hesitate to act in a matter of importance to themselves, like like getting married. I would say, well, did you feel hesitations when you got married? Butterflies? That's natural. But it, what, did you call right. it off? That's how I would right. talk about it as a prosecutor. And some people do call off a wedding because that's, that's a reasonable doubt kind of thing. Right. Yeah. No, I think I think it's going to be a fascinating case. And I think, like I said, it's and it's going to be one of those cases that's hard for the public to follow, you know, non-attorney public to follow, because what they see is clear and, you know, clear evidence um, from a legal perspective is so often uh, not only is it irrelevant evidence, um, but it's not provable um, just but because the thing, Mario, you, you feel like there's weight to it. People are going to watch this trial. I predict it'll be on TV. I predict it will go to trial. I don't see any way that's going to get plea sure. bargained. And it's going to be a hell of a case, maybe even an international sensation as people take sides. But it will be televised. YouTube is amazing. Sure. I just watched the Tay Anderson hearing. That was fascinating. Then no. moved on to the STEM School shooting, all on YouTube, all live. Wait, so when you say the Tay Anderson hearing, did they make a decision? Did the did the school yes, board make a decision on what to do? And he compared him? himself to Emmett Till, and he said he, he compared himself to Emmett Till. To Emmett he Till. did not. Yes, he, he did. did not. He did. Oh my God! Oh, he I, said, just, "I'm being vilified on the basis of a white woman's false allegations." And that woman who did say that he assaulted over sixty people. That seemed oh. way out of bounds and exaggerated. I don't. I, I think. I think she was. I think. I think she was absolutely. I think she was absolutely not credible. Totally agree with the. I, I read. I read the. Um, I read the report, and so I agree. She wasn't very credible. But, I mean, what kills me about this is that, one, <laughs> Tay Anderson and Emmett Till are two very, very different scenarios. Um, and Let, two, let's bring it up because it was 1955. Emmett Till sure. allegedly whistled at a white woman, and then he got yep. beat to death. And beat to death horribly, but, but and here's terribly. The thing, Tay. Oh my God! And the the camera angle, the YouTube, the historic record. I can see the documentary now. 
he did a damn good job. That guy would do well in a moot court competition at CU Law School where we both went. He is a quick yeah. study. I have my concerns about him, but he read a lot of the death threats that have been coming in against him. And apparently this guy who he named, named Joseph Anthony Camp, who's a Republican gadfly troller who is written up in Westward, and he harasses people, which is the subject of the column, your brilliant right. column in the sun. But you have to watch what Tay Anderson said because he called out Camp and said that uh, his cartoon, Bugs Bunny cartoon with a gun pointed at ahead was in response to Camp, and his mom said, hey, take that down, and he did. But Camp got under his skin, and he's getting under Morgan Carroll's skin. The president of the United States, I don't know if you saw Morgan's Facebook post. She's been a guest in the lounge. And I know this is just ruining our mm. politics, and it gets to the theme of your brilliant column. When Joe Biden was here, they had to go through a crowd yelling, fuck Joe Biden and fuck you right. and fuck this. And it leads to what we're facing uh, on September 18th, just the day of well, our show. I mean, I mean, it's I'll, all I'll, connected. And, and I'll be honest. I actually think I, you know, my my view of Tay Anderson is he's actually far more of a contributor to that than he <laughs> that he's a victim of it. I, 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 I don't disagree. And, and uh, there does appear to be some smoke, but he... He plays the victim, and then well, tell you, you'll I mean, be there were substantiated claims. There were, and, and that's that's he does not seem to be taking any responsibility for the substantiated claims that were that, that the investigation found, uh, which is clearly why he got censured as well. Um, so uh, it's it's a right, but but two things know. can be true. Tay Anderson came to my attention when he was at a rally, and he was grounding people out with a bullhorn. I don't like that sort of stuff. It's Right. It, it, and so I wondered about the guy, but I'm telling you, the speech today was impressive, whether you oh, like him or not. He is and no he, doubt a magnificent speaker, and that's, that's why he's gone so far. But, I mean, you know, the flip side is Tay Anderson is also a – an opportunist and a um, and a shortcut specialist, which is why a lot of the Democratic Party and a lot of Democrats that I know and talk to regularly um, are dislike him more than any Republican do, does. And, and, um, and isn't it because he brings a hint of intimidation and bullying to the process? And nobody likes that. That's why I can't stand. Well, Trump. I don't think it. I don't think it's a hint. I think it's very much so. And I think. Um, and, and I think those were some of the substantiated claims is that's what exactly what he was doing. Um, and, and he's, and since you say, you know, since you bring up Trump and some of the things that he's very much like Trump with, I, uh, I think that's, you know, this whole idea that he doesn't accept any responsibility for the things that were substantiated. And I don't know if he did that in the hearing. I didn't, I didn't watch it, but so far what I've seen in his public communications is he accepts no responsibility for the things that he did wrong, which is very Trumpian. I mean, I mean, that's very Trumpian to have clear evidence and findings and substantiations that you've done something wrong and never acknowledge it. Um, in fact, you know, and, and almost straight deny it. Um, I think I, 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 Tay Anderson worries me quite a bit to that extent. And, and part, and particularly because 
he is such a magnificent speaker and he's got a good story. Um, though also, I mean, it, I don't know, you know, he, you know, part of it though, too, is almost a desperation piece. Cause this is, this is what he wants to do with himself. And this is where he wants to make his mark. And he's all, you know, it's, it's, if anything happens and he's not able to parlay this into something bigger. Uh, I mean, we're also talking about a guy who has a high school education and that's it, you know, hasn't bothered to go to college, um, hasn't bothered to try to um, do something more to prepare himself. So um, I think there's some desperation in that, but yeah, I, I think, I think he's more of the, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, I do not like Representative Dave Williams, right? Um, Republican. I did not know um, that, but that's another point in your favor not, because that guy is <laughs> over the top and he's facilitated by well, Denver Trump radio. But keep going. And Denver Trump radio, well, they go over the top against Tay Anderson. And I don't like big bullies like Donald oh, Trump. I think, I think, I think, I think that, I, that that's, I've been trying to think about because I thought about writing about this, but then Governor Polis got married, so I had to write about that. <laughs> I'm just I want to talk about that heart. with you too because um, the funniest headline I've ever seen. We talked about it during Yom Kippur services. Is it said Governor Polis marries his longtime partner in traditional Jewish service? Yeah, like traditional for like the last five years. I mean, we've right, just right. come along, and most of our congregations, but. Uh, now it's old hat, okay, and I think it's a great thing, but it, it's not exactly yeah. something my parents would have seen coming. <laughs> sure. Um, well, I think it's that way for a lot of a lot of congregations. I mean, I know my parish. You know, we we, um, um, we had we had to do our own discernment over that. I think that's, I think that's right. That's fair. That every church gets to make their own uh, discernment. Um, and honestly, if it had gone the other way in my church. I likely would have found another parish, <laughs> um, but right. also my 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 priest is very my priest is extraordinarily liberal. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> um, he's a, he's a fascinating dude. If you would like to have some, if you ever need a, um, I need you to stand you still need- for a minute because your sound's wavering. But it sounds like you're going to offer me a Christian clergyman oh, as a guest. Yeah, if you ever need, if you never needed, well, or just wanted a, a Christian uh, clergyman to ever talk to, um, my priest is awesome. He, I think you would I like him a lot. I want to have on Rabbi Firestone. You know who she is? I do not. She's the one who married Jared and Marlon. So, oh, okay. And I looked her up. She is fascinating. Uh, look up Rabbi Firestone if you want to see an interesting perspective on Judaism. But let's get back to you, Mario, because... You wrote the best Colorado Sun column, and uh, you can have the Jared Polis column. I, I can't wait for it this weekend. I have a weekend off, and I have something in mind for the week after that. I just did bury more for you, and I predicted everything that's been happening. You know why that's easy? Because this is what I did for a living for quite a while, and probable cause findings always happen, but I could see it wasn't a slam dunk case. I don't know what's going to happen with the country, though. You're more the political guru, and uh, you wrote a column that scared the shit out of me, and it just rang so true, and you wrote with such passion, and now we have another example with Anthony Gonzalez, a tough wide receiver from Ohio State, played in the NFL. 
ideal congressman from Ohio, conservative but not Michigana, and he voted for the impeachment of Donald Trump as any decent person would. Now he has to retire from politics because he's getting threats. He's getting threats on his family, which is what Tay Anderson talked about as well. He's getting threats on his little boy, but that was the subject of your column. I'm going to shut up, but you, you identified this as a threat to our democracy, and I agree. Tell everybody why. Yeah, I mean, I think we are actually in a very um, – we're, we're in an existential fight for our democracy right now, and it's, and it's almost like this silent fight because people aren't really thinking about or paying attention to it because there's not a lot that's happening – on the surface. Um, there's a lot of planning and there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of groups out there kind of thinking about it, but it's a little bit like there wasn't a lot that was paid attention to the gathering of Trump folks for January 6th until it became a violent riot. And I can see that happening again, um, only on a much broader geographic scale and scope. In the near term, I wrote future. about it before it happened. When he said it's going to be wild, you can look it up in the yeah. sun. It was it was obvious shit was going to go down. It's unbelievable to me still that they weren't prepared for it. Oh, and I think that's exactly what we're seeing here too. Uh, so I, you know, I've obviously been involved in elections for a long time, as both an operative and also as a um, an attorney who's involved in a lot of election lawsuits. And to me, uh, maybe it's just because this is the area that I focus on, the jeopardy that our elections are in is something that we have never seen in the history of our country. Um, and to me, that is existential threat to our democracy greater than anything we've ever faced. Even, and, and I point this out in my column, even during the Civil War, we weren't talking about doing away with democracy and elections. Um, the, the Confederacy itself took their own elections and elected Jefferson Davis as president. Um, so, you know, but that's what we're kind of looking at now, because I think there are twofold, two, two problems. First, you're going, I think you're absolutely going to see elections officials across the country who, when they don't like an outcome, are going to try to do something about it. They're going to try to take some sort of action. And all you have to do is look out in the western side of Colorado and Tina Peters, who I also wrote about recently, um, to see the extent that some of these election officials might go to. I think she would absolutely undermine the votes of her own voters to result in an outcome that she wanted. Um, second, and, and, and this is this is no, in an outcome that her dear leader wanted, Donald Trump, the leader of Cult Forty Five. Am absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I mean, in her case, absolutely. But but it doesn't even have to be Donald Trump at this point, because, you know, what you saw. So look at Larry Elder out in California, who literally wrote a tweet um, and I had on his Web page that the recall was rigged before the recall was over. So before they counted a single vote, he was already claiming it was rigged against him. Um, this is just the playbook for everyone on the right at this point in time and that should scare the hell out of ever out of anyone out there that that you know they they are going to do what they can to make this happen and you see it in more subtle ways in places like texas and georgia i mean it's pretty obvious to those of us who know what's going on um and who follow this stuff but those voting right laws um that make it harder to vote that's exactly what they're doing they're trying to preemptively do that 
But I could see clerks and designated election officials um, and secretaries of states in states where they have a base that they need to play to absolutely saying, hey, I don't want to be the next Raffensperger from Georgia, so I'm going to go ahead and not certify this election. Or I'm going to go ahead and say that all of these votes don't count because uh, whatever reason I need to think about it. I think that should be terrifying. But even worse, though, I think we are in great danger of self-appointed um, militias showing up at voting locations and showing up um, with violence on their mind, showing up with uh, signs, bats, bullhorns, and you know, bong guns. You're going you're gonna to see people who think that Kyle Rittenhouse was a hero um, and they're going to do the same thing only in regards to polling locations, showing up with long guns stra- strapped across them to make sure that election fraud isn't being committed. Now, their version of election fraud is not what's actually provable as election fraud, is, as, you know, as, as you can see with right now, where you have all these people saying, well, there was election fraud. Meanwhile, <laughs> there's been no election fraud provided and approved at any court at any level um, at all. During the 2020 election, none. Uh, they can't point to a single case where it's been proved. Uh, yet uh, they claim that it was on a massive scale. So whether it's proved or not is beside the point for them. The only thing that will prove that there was election fraud to them is if their outcome isn't resulted. If the That's outcome right. they wanted, that is the only proof that they need. Um, and we saw that. We saw that mob in Maricopa County with guns in the parking lot. And and I think you diagnosed it perfectly. You got GOP hacks who will do anything to please uh, cult 45, uh, their Lord and Savior, Donald Trump. Then you got the bullying of people who are just trying to do it fair. And three, then if you have Democrats, and you wrote about this beautifully, who are trying to do the job, they're going to get accused of everything. They're going to get death threats against themselves and their family, and eventually somebody's really going to get hurt, and and in reality, it's happened, right? Yeah. And and you wrote about Jenna Griswold, who is under constant threat, and that's bullshit. I'm glad you wrote out about it. Well, and I think it's not just, you know, and and to be clear, I I don't think it's just the Democrat versus Republican piece. I think there are plenty of just uh, there are election officials in, in and and employees of clerks um, in, at county levels and state employees who are just good government officials who make elections happen and make them run. Um, and just just by virtue of being in the office, they're getting death threats. I, I want to make this clear. Janet Griswold does not deserve any sort of threat against her for doing her job. Anything that is uh, that is a threat against her for that is just simply over the line. I don't care what kind of disagreements I have about her about policy. Um, I, I cannot cannot abide by that, and I would, um, you know, I would side with her every single time on that. But the problem is when you have just government civil servants who are getting that too. I talked to I talked to, um, talk to one that I know um, quite well recently, um, who told me that not only are they getting those sorts of threats to just random individuals in the uh, you know, who, who happen to be on staff. Um, but this person actually, and this is, this is a really rational human being, told me um, that they expect a murder of uh, an election official somewhere in the United States during 2022. 
not even 2024 when we're talking about presidential election, they expect some election official to be murdered because of um, their role in elections uh, in 2022. That should be terrifying. That that should terrify everybody because that is that is a fundamental threat to our democracy uh, when we're talking about people who are trying to stop free and fair elections uh, by through through use of violence. Uh, it's the, but, the only but by and large, Mario. I know you are a Republican, but this threat is not coming from the left. That's right. It's really primarily coming from the right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? I mean, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think and it's Donald Trump who's let loose this monster. Absolutely. And, and, and all the people who have been willing to go along, go along and get along with him, um, whether, whether they truly believe it and they're truly, um, you know, Trump zealots or whether they were Republicans who were simply so worried about their own futures that they were terrified of crossing him. Um, it is. It has absolutely been driven by them. I think that's that is right. Completely and and fair to on say. that score, yeah. Can I make a confession that my dogs have gone to Camp Bow Wow and had pretty much a good experience? And I know Heidi Ganahl a little bit, and she's always been nice to me. But when she would not say that last election was a fair election, she lost me. And that's that's the dominant issue for me. Anybody who gives oxygen to the big lie. Forget about my vote. Well, it's so, not. It's not talk even about just Heidi. What did you think? Well, I mean, I I've known Heidi a long time. And I like Heidi a lot. Um, but I I agree, and it's not. And I want to be clear: it's not people who just give oxygen um, to the big lie uh, who who are problematic. It's people who refuse to throw water on the big lie and <laughs> put Good the fire man. out. I, I think I think there there are two different things here, um, and I, I think she probably falls into the latter category. Um, where she just doesn't want to throw water on it. And it's because she's worried that if she does, then, you know, she'll wind up in some sort of primary where she can't possibly win the Republican primary. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> you're probably not going to win. You're probably not going to win the race anyway. Wouldn't you want to exit with your pride? <laughs> uh, Who is going to win? Yeah. Uh, who's going to oh. be the candidates for oh, governor oh. and senator? I don't have any idea who's going to win the Republican primary. I mean, right now the presumption is it's going to be Heidi Ganahl, but I mean, who's going to win the race? It's going to be Jared Polis. <laughs> well, what about for U.S. Senate who takes on Michael Bennett? Um, I don't know. The, I mean, that's part of the problem that Republicans have right now is they have no bench. There is no bench um, at all. Um, and they're, they're, George Brockler is formidable. Um, George Brockler could be formidable. I think George could be. Um, you know, that said, I, I think He's going to be under the same pressures that Heidi Ganahl is under right now. Is is how can he possibly win the unaffiliateds that he needs in this state um, by condemning why, Donald Trump? Why? Yeah, but then he would then he would never make it out of a primary. Not necessarily. Who's going to beat him? Um, uh, I, a lot of people. A lot you know, of people. What unaffiliateds like me would say? Whoa, there's a Republican <laughs> taking on Trump. Well, two, and I know George. Two things. He's been in the lounge more than anybody. So if he had the courage to do that and say, I'm running in 2022, and I can tell you, I agree with Anthony Gonzalez. Trump is a cancer on our country, and I'm here for Colorado. Man, that would be beautiful. And I think eventually Republicans have to get there or break up the country or lose their party? How do you see it going? Yeah, I mean, I think this is, gets to the point of what I'm making, Craig, is that I don't think, yes, I think that that would make him a much more formal general election candidate, but I think as soon as he did that, 
he would find a primary opponent and he would lose in a primary. Uh, particularly, yeah, who, particularly, particularly, who is that? Person? It doesn't matter. It just has to be someone who is hardcore pro-Trump. That's the point. Why don't you? Why don't you get involved and vote for George? I, if, he I, if he did, if he did that, I would absolutely support. I would support him in that primary. Um, so it, it, I think it's doable, but I don't. Unaffiliated across the board would do that. You know, not until we get to the point where unaffiliated are actually voting in primaries in in large numbers, and I don't know that we've kind of gotten there yet. Um, and particularly also if the Republican Party opts out of, uh, you know, you, we're recording this on Friday. And between between when we record this and when you actually put it out there, the Republican Party is going to vote on whether it's going to stay in the primaries or not or whether they're going to nominate from the assemblies. And if they choose to nominate from assemblies, anyone, anyone who calls out President Trump is done right there and then. And all you have to do is you have to go back just a couple of years to look at Daryl Glenn. Right. I mean, he was a no one. He was a no one, no one who knew who Daryl Glenn is, but he was able to go to that assembly and basically right. throw the red meat out there um, and crush his opponents. And, and, you know, at the same time, you had you had someone who like, you know, Cynthia Kaufman, who who was much more reasonable, um, who just didn't even make it out of assembly because uh, because of um, she wasn't seen as strong it, it, enough it, it, against, you know, for Trump. Um, You're talking about the Trump enforcers. Like any good mobster, he's got enforcement mechanisms, and I think you are right. That's why Brockler needs to stand up. He's taking a leadership role debating Randy Corcoran, who is, oh, my God, what a bad guy he is. Bad lawyer, bad person, <laughs> dishonest, and he he also leads the anti-mask uh, oh, my goodness. He, he debated Brockler, and Brockler took him on and kicked his ass. Not that hard, but Brockler's good. He's glib, and he could distinguish himself. I Sure. I, 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 I don't debate any of that, Craig. I just – I the premise that he could make it out of a primary, I don't think it's possible. I mean, it, it's – You're probably right because the real power player in Colorado politics might be Lauren Boebert. Oh, I absolutely think so. I absolutely think I think she's the most powerful person in Republican politics in Colorado right now. I don't think it's even close. Um, and she's got her own wine locker in Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Well, she can afford it now. I mean, you know, now, now given what her husband's making from a well, believe me, they charge her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Down in Mar-a-Lago, everybody pays. Yeah, but I'm just saying now that her husband's making five hundred thousand dollars a year, uh, ain't that Marcus sweet? Company, and yeah, that's he, a nice deal. He has a good, right? So, um, and that's why Shooters isn't making any money. They don't have a liquor license because they got it revoked. I do believe. Am I right? Oh, um, I don't know if they got their liquor. I don't know about their liquor license. I know that they got in trouble with the health department on several occasions, not least of which because of the mass mandate issue, but also because honestly, they were poisoning people. <laughs> Um, so there was that there was that problem as well but uh, you know i mean i think the boberts are doing fine he's making half million dollars a year she's making close to two hundred thousand dollars a year they can probably afford some wine at mar-a-lago and and uh, i mean you know but let's face it though just her brand of politics don't forget about her uh, auto reimbursements that's a lot of cash too that's right that's that's about 36 grand um yeah no i i think but i I, you know all, all goodness aside i think she is the she is the most influential um, member of the GOP in Colorado right now, and I don't think it's I don't think it's remotely close. I don't I don't think you could argue for anyone else. And and it's 
you know, that's just, that's just the truth right now. And that's my point is if George came out hardcore against Trump, it would be less than 24 hours before you had a response from Bobert that called him out for being a rhino that said that he, you know, should never be considered for that position and run. And he clearly is not a Republican and he's just a Democrat in disguise. I mean, never mind that none of this is true, but you would have people like her and people, um, you know, across the state who would do that. And he would immediately be done with the vast majority of Republicans. Here's my attitude in life. If you know you're done, why not go down spectacularly? I mean, at a point, uh-huh. I realized I can. I was on Denver Trump Radio, and I could not support Donald Trump. So I knew my time was coming, and I was going to, you know, push it. I was going to yeah. make my case. I argued that he should have been impeached on the Ukrainian thing. I thought that was a big oh, deal. Oh, I agree. I agree. And, 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 but the bottom line is, you are a lifelong Republican, and you jumped, and you talked about it in your column, and you're a public person. But if you're a Republican like Gonzalez, he gave an interview to the New York Times called Trump a cancer. Of course, he's not running again, which kind of pisses me off. But he's in Ohio, not Colorado. I'm talking about Colorado and George Brockler. Maybe he could pull it off. But if he's saying, I can't support this asshole anymore, I just can't. Just like you and I came to that point that it would be fundamentally and morally wrong to back anything to do with this madman, Trump. He's just a bad guy and a mobster. So then the decision becomes easier because you don't want to be part of that kind of party anymore. Yeah, but I, sure. you don't want. But, but I mean, I think what we're talking about with George is him running to be the nominal head of the party. And that's my point is that you can't, you can't, you can't bash Trump and then. Um, but what about that, Larry Hogan in Maryland or the, the the Republican governor in Massachusetts? Well, I think he's already they get it done. He, sure, but he was already sitting uh, governor, and I think there's a big difference there. But uh, I, I think I think the better way to say, hey, look at this. It'll be very interesting to see what happens with Liz Cheney um, this year, because I, uh, you know, she's Trump has already endorsed someone against her, and. It's a it's a candidate who lost a gubernatorial race, um, but it'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I liked her up. She's a lawyer. Yeah, and and, uh, and 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 you know, in Wyoming, running for Congress, same as running for senator, governor, to statewide office because they only have one member of Congress, and so it'll be that'll be fascinating. That that's I mean that's the ultimate test case of can you be anti-Trump and. You know, if Liz Cheney. Do you know why Liz? Why do you think Liz Cheney did what she did? I think that she couldn't. She just. I think she's a person of principle, and she just basically said, "I can't live with this anymore." Where did she get those principles? Um. Oh, I'm sure she got it from her father. I mean, I think. What about her mother? I think her mother as well. I mean, her. her, I'm bringing up her father because her father was the public. You know, the kind of the public official, public face. Lynn Cheney was a historian, and you know where she went to college. No, I don't. The Colorado College. Do you know where her daughter went to college? Colorado College? The Colorado College. And I think that CEC would not let you leave there with the idea that Donald Trump would be a good president doing this shit that he's done. Yeah, I, I, yeah, but I mean, I think I think there are a lot of people who went to some very good colleges who are who are willing to make that trade. And, and I just think, 
Um, Lynn Cheney is not one of them. I think Lynn Cheney basically said, hey, look, when I'm lying there in my deathbed and I look back on my life, um, I'm not going to be, you know, I, I, I am going to feel like I failed in my life if I traded in my principles um, just to keep my office. Um, and good for her. I mean, good for her. It's great for her. Sad for our country that that might make her lose. (laughs) I think we need more of that. Maybe we can help her. Maybe the tide will turn. I mean, just just yesterday when Trump over this January 6th rally said that those people are being persecuted. I mean, as a former prosecutor, I heard that a lot. Yo, you're persecuting people. That is really a wild word. And again, getting to Brockler, who's been a prosecutor, he's got to say, holy cow, I got to pledge allegiance to this guy who's talking about these criminal types breaking into the Capitol and he says they're being persecuted. I don't know any responsible prosecutor who would look at that and say, what's wrong with you, man? Yeah, I just, I, you know, I mean, I just, I don't, I think people like George would just look at it and be like, "Hey, look, it's a no-win situation for me. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna try. I'm not even gonna bother on this. This is. I'm. I'm good. I don't. I don't need to run for office. So the other thing is, remember, if he takes that position, it's not like he is just going out in a in a you know in a in a ball of you know flaming glory and and just saying, "Hey, you know, going down with the ship." It's it's a slog to to lose that way because. Let's say that he were to announce today that he's running, right? And we don't have, and we don't have our. No, I would wait. Primary, I would wait pretty late. What to like June? <laughs> I mean, as late as you could wait, because Trump will do other stupid things. But I mean, that's my point: is to get on the ballot. To get on the latest you could really reasonably do to get on the ballot is if you were trying to win um, a place on the ballot in. Uh, in what, like March, April, whenever, whenever the, uh, whenever the caucuses are going to be, the caucuses followed by the assemblies. Uh, that's the way that we do it in the state. And so you'd, you'd, you'd have to, you'd have to do that. I mean, you could also petition on, um, but usually the petition uh, with the requirements that we have, you have to actually get started earlier because it's hard to get that many signatures. So he is reason, you know, at, at the very latest could get in in maybe like February or March to run. And, February, March until June, and if he's taking the tact of "Hey, Donald Trump is a clown and a cancer," um, it's it's going to take less than twenty four hours before he is no longer it's going to be a viable candidate in that primary. And after that's done, that means he's spending four to five months trying to campaign and getting his brains beat in everywhere he goes just to finish with something like four percent of the vote in the primary. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that's, is, it, is the Republican Party that far gone? I mean, the Republican the Party is that just, far gone. <laughs> and, and, and so all the leaders are afraid of the base. That's right. That's right. I think, I think well, I mean, and the ones that weren't are gone, right? I mean, you're Jeff Flakes of the world. I mean, you've got Rob Portman now deciding you know, to retire rather than deal with this anymore. Um, Anthony you know, Gonzalez. Anthony Gonzalez, exactly. Uh, I mean, I think you have those. You just. Uh, you, you really haven't you you have not seen you have not seen a leading anti-Trump uh, Republican who has been able to uh, maintain their position in the Republican Party. 
I mean, even maybe Lisa Murkowski. Maybe Lisa Murkowski. So I, Lisa Murkowski is someone who I I like a lot, and I had I had the opportunity to meet her not that long ago in a very small um, setting. Um, what a name dropper! Where was that? Um, you know, um, it was here in Denver, and I can't go into a lot of detail because it was kind of a just a smaller meeting that was arranged by someone who doesn't want it to keep, be uh, put out, but. Um, one of her children got married here in Colorado, so she was in town. And it, she was the most genuine politician I've ever met. Just down to earth, um, smart, kind. Um, you know, prob- probably, um, probably one of my favorite politician right now that I that I've met. Um, and, but you know, I mean, she's kind of got the same. Now she has. She has going for her. She has the new system for primaries in Alaska, which I would love to see here in Colorado, which is not only do they not have a partisan primaries, um, you have more of a jungle primary where everybody from all the parties runs for the same office. And then the top two vote getters proceed on to the uh, general election ballot. But they're also including ranked choice voting in that. Um, so you don't, not only do you get to pick um, your candidate, but you also get to kind of rank them. So the one that you like the least um, can receive the least vote. So if you like, you know, there are four candidates and um, you like, you know, one, two, and three way more than four, you can kind of rank them that way. Um, that, that, that's going to be fascinating to follow. And, and I do think it's something that I would love for Colorado to look into because um, I, I truly believe that the the partisan um, primaries are that that is that's the asbestos of of elections, right? I mean, I mean, you keep on eating it. More you're, cancer you're, metaphors. You're, you're you're bound to wind up with a large lump somewhere in your body that shouldn't right. be there. Um, I mean, that's. But it, but here's the solution. I want to give kudos to a group that you've been part of and. I listen to their podcast. I like Reed Galen. Pass that along if you know the guy. And pass this along to the Lincoln Project. I made some slight contributions, and I heard Beto O'Rourke on with those guys. And their attitude is, we'll partner with anybody. AOC, uh, Beto. Sure, we were once Republicans, but we have a common mission, and I could not agree more. And Beto was so impressive, I went down to Texas I saw him and Reverend Barber and Willie Nelson at a rally, and it occurs to me Bobert made her name by attacking Beto. You're not going to take my guns, something like that. And I I think Beto's cool, and I think Texas is is really where it's going to happen. If we can, if if Texas goes, then boy, that would be a real shift. And and do you think that could ever happen in our lifetime? I absolutely think it could. In fact. The Lincoln Project was very involved in Texas um, in 2020. Uh, I wrote an amicus brief. Um, I actually wrote several amicus briefs in Texas regarding um, uh, when they when Governor Abbott tried to limit the number of drop boxes um, for outrageous. Which one was, drop box for Harris County? Six million people. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And and I mean, it, it is absolutely all about limiting the number of people access to the ballot and the number of votes that come in. It has nothing to do with fraud. Um, and if you were really concerned about fraud, you would do things like create a much longer period of time to actually count the ballots and, and to, to look at them and verify them. So they, they, you know, that was one of the problems Texas had is they weren't going to start doing it until like either the day before or the day of. 
in Colorado, we start verifying ballots as they come in two and three weeks before the actual election date. We don't count them, but we, we go through and we look and say, oh, the signature is right. Oh, this is the right address. This is the right person. Put this one in the let's count it box. Um, and so that's all done so that as soon as Election Day rolls around, it can just, you know, they quit, it, it's done. And actually, I think we do count them um, prior to then, but it's all locked up. It's, it's, not, it's not available. Um, but, I mean, you know, Texas wasn't doing that. And then th- that's, that's my point with the voting rights case is they, they, they try, they're trying to limit the access to the ballot, which is, which is just the sign of a party who is in decline. Um, when you, and, and, and also, it's not a long-term viable strategy. And it's, the kind of thing, it's the kind of thing that lost Republicans Georgia, right? And it's going to lose them right. taxes. And if you lose Georgia in Texas— um, as Republicans, you are suddenly a regional party, and that's it. And you're not much of a regional party because you just lost the two biggest, two of the three biggest states in that region. <laughs> you still got Alabama. Oh, uh, they still got Florida. You know, Florida's actually more Republican than either of those states, Texas or um, um, Texas or Georgia right now. But it's you know it's that's you know that's where we're standing down the line. Of course, of course, Florida is a counterpoint to that because Florida. When all these Republicans are, are attacking mail-in ballots, the GOP in Florida was freaking out because they have spent decades making a, an incredibly efficient system of using vote-by-mail to turn out their base for the Republican base in Florida. That's how they vote in Florida, and they were like, oh, God, no. We're going to have all these people who aren't going to vote that way, and then they might not vote at all. Um, it was It was actually kind of a little bit humorous, but – you know, I, yeah. I think what's not humorous is I think they're losing a lot of their own voters to COVID because they won't get vaccinated. Yeah. I mean, your party, your old party, do you shake your head sometimes and say, I was in bed with that? Um, you know, I, I sometimes a little bit. I, I, I will say I think that you've seen just a massive change over the last um, – it started with the Tea Party in 2010. Um, but then, you know, the fire that was burning, Donald Trump went and he tried to put it out with gasoline, um, had, had to throw in a little bit of a David Bowie reference right there. Um, but you know, that's, that's what he was doing. Um, and, and now it's just blazing. And that's, that's when I just said, okay, I I can't do this anymore. I, I, you know, the tea party kind of started that I was, I saw it coming. And so. I try, you know, I I was very vocal about civil unions. I didn't see it coming after 2010. Hell, Mitt Romney was the nominee. I thought, okay, right. there's a decent person. Right, but uh, what I'm saying is, so well, I mean, I, I guess I guess I saw it because, um, you know, I advocated very much. You know, I was I was the conservative voice for civil unions in 2011, um, and you know, was out there kind of advocating for that. I, you know, the thing, the things that I heard and people saying and the reactionary to it, um, was tough. And then, you know, it, obviously I don't know, I was a marriage equality advocate as well. And then I ran for office in 2014 and just got thumped. Um, but mostly because of those, my positions on those two issues. Um, you're wrong. The election was rigged. You really didn't lose. <laughs> right, right. Right. In retrospect, I mean, I guess I guess I can just just point out that it was rigged now. And it was clearly, clearly there was a lot of fraud going on. Um, and so, uh, in fact, Widespread what you fraud. don't realize, Fred, what you what you don't what you don't realize right now, Craig, 
is that I am the state senator for my area of Colorado. I just um, I will I will be I will be reinstated or first instated um, sometime in the coming but, months. But what party are you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I guess I'd be the first. You endorsed the Lincoln Project position that you got about Dems down the line now. Um, I think I, I do right now, and the reason the reason is because. I don't think that you're talking about Republican versus Democrat right now. And I can tell you, this is exactly why the Lincoln Project continues to exist, is they feel like there's an existential threat to the democracy, and it's posed by the GOP right now. And so for me, it's not so much Republican versus Democrat. Um, it, uh, we're talking about democracy versus authoritarianism. We're talking about democracy um, versus violent overthrow of our own electoral system that's existed for a course, you know, a quarter millennium. Um, and, fascism? And, yeah. Would I mean, you call it fascism? Well, there's a difference between fascism and authoritarianism. Um, and, and I think fascism is a little bit different. I, I Yeah, it has a lot of... They, uh, they have a lot of similarities. USA, USA, right. homeland, right. Right. I, I think, I think there's, there, is, um, there is some of that. And, you know, the fascist piece comes with the nationalism piece. Um, I, I'm, Mussolini. I'm, yeah, Mussolini. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> there's an Italian that I'm not so thrilled about. Um, sharing, sharing a heritage with, uh, but I think, I think, you know, I, I, I think it's the authoritarianism piece that I'm so worried about. And, and that, um, because fa- fascism is, fascism is all about, okay, well, the state dictates everything. Right. And, um, and that's, that's the idea. And, and it, and it basically is done through an authoritarian system. Um, and I don't, I don't know that the GOP is looking for the state to dictate everything right now. Um, but they sure do want an authoritarian um, style of government um, where the person that they want is the one in charge um, and, and has the authority to do what they want. Uh, now, it's, it's a, uh, you brought up your ethnicity. And I bet you know about organized crime back in the day. A lot of it. Sure. Emanated from Italy. And you know that Donald Trump had impact. I've called him a mobster a couple times already on this show. I, th- I think it's mafioso type tactics, don't you? The intimidation, the, sure. the kiss the ring. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a lot of it. I think I think also there's um, paranoia that you see with organized crime. Um, right. I think, you know, that, that most of those leaders we're always paranoid about the people around them and, uh, you know, wind up killing people who, who might have been loyal, but they thought there was a possibility they weren't. They were always worried about that. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's also it's, – it's, it's also – I'll throw this out there. I think you also had people who were Italian-Americans – who are the ones who took down a lot of the organized crime? I mean, Fiero LaGuardia was oh, absolutely was and, was, and obviously, right. I mean, there's an Israeli mafia, and I think the the biggest is <laughs> probably Inc., the Russian mafia. Well, you guys, the Russian mafia. You guys had Murder Inc. in this country, so I well, think, yeah. Well, we Anastasia, let us have man. other jobs. What are we supposed to do? Right. So, in fact, in fact, I don't know if you were ever a West Wing fan, but this is going to tell you what kind of political geek to I have. If you if you remember Toby Ziegler from the West Wing, his father was a member of Murder Inc. I did not know that. Yep, uh, that's that was one of the storylines in there. Was his dad was uh, worked for Murder Inc. Um, so, but I do know that Roy Cohn, 
who was an attorney for Trump, worked for the mob, and mm-hmm. they you can't really do construction or Donald Trump couldn't without cheating and using the mob for this, for that. Sure. And he likes their style. But I don't think he's the big mobster in the world. I think it's like Tony Soprano. He had his little empire, but he wasn't the capo de capo, who to me is the richest guy in the world, and his name is Vladimir Putin, and I believe there's a Russian mafia, and I believe he's the top guy in the Russian mafia. Am I wrong? You know, I don't, I don't know enough about the uh, Russian system. I mean, I, I know, I know enough that that Vladimir it's a kleptocracy. Putin, I know they got to give him a taste of everything. Yeah, but I mean, it, well, okay, fair, and and I mean, I think. Um, uh, I mean, I, let me let me be clear. I'm not trying to duck your question. Um, I think I'm Vladimir just saying Putin I think Trump's a lesser mafioso than Putin, who's got sure. more money and probably more power, and that's why Trump sucks up to him. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that's true. But I mean, I think also, you know, I, I think also the difference is Putin is just exponentially smarter. I mean, I mean, yes. he, he created himself. He's a lawyer. He created himself and and got there and 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 is vicious. But he's strategically vicious. I don't. I don't oh, think. Yeah. I don't think Trump is strategic at all, ever, in anything. That's why he's, he's reactionary. Not that big of a mobster. He's right. reactionary, and so I mean, that's where I kind of draw a little bit of a line. Is I think Putin is terrifying, and um, and you know, I, I, I still, I still think that there's probably a reasonable case that he had stuff on Trump, and I've always worried that that's actually true, um, though I haven't seen the proof. Um, I think there was enough out there that you had to have concern about it. Um, I think, I think the thing about Putin that Trump really hasn't called a lot of hits like Putin has, you you get in his way as a journalist or whatever, he's going to kill you. And they do the same thing in China, right? Absolutely. And I think this goes, this though goes right back to what I was saying before is, you know, you said fascism and I said authoritarianism is what I worry about. Mm-hmm. Putin is not a fascist, but he's absolutely the A1 number authoritarian in the world right now. I mean, technically, you know, they have he elect- kind of pun- they have he kind of he, he pounds on Russians being better than other people. I mean, there's that element to it. Sure. But- there's nationalism. We're the best. Yeah. But- they say we cheat. They're the ones who cheat. That sort of thing. Right. But they're, they're not they're not fascists. Um, they're not fascists, but they're they're I mean, I, I, I think, you know, we've, we've gotten because of the history of our world and because of fascists in Italy and Germany, um, you know, it's just that's that's the ultimate evil. Um, and, and it is definitely, definitely those were evil, evil people. And the, the ideology itself is a terrible ideology. Um, but I think we've done it to the detriment of losing sight of how evil some of these other ideologies can be. And the authoritarianism that's exercised by Putin, I think is scary. It's, it's exactly why I wrote the column that I wrote. That's the path that we're going down. They allegedly have elections in Russia. Um, but if anyone thinks that those are actually free and fair and honest elections, you're kidding yourself. Um, they're absolutely not, and they haven't been for decades. Um, and that's that's exactly what we're heading down if we let violence overtake our elections, if we let election officials in municipalities and counties um, and states uh, ignore the will of the people and throw out ballots because, hey, they want to see a certain outcome. We're, 
we would we would be right. going down you're, you're that. You're scaring the. You've made your case, counselor. If I'm finding probable cause, you made it. <laughs> I'm scared shitless. Now, what do we do about it? Well, I mean, I think that's why you have to have people who are. That's why I work with the Lincoln Project. Um, is because I think that they're they're honest to God fighting that. In fact, um, I have a buddy on the Lincoln Project um, who most people don't know who he is, but his name is Trigby Olson, um, and he has fought um, illiberalism. Um, and, and when we're talking about liberalism versus illiberalism, we're talking about kind of the classical liberalism and right. democracy versus illiberalism and authoritarianism. Um, he's fought it's like that the opposite. stuff. It's, it's the opposite of mobsterism. Yeah. It's more intellectual. He's, right. he's, he has fought that across the world uh, over the last 20 years, and he helps out here. And some of his stuff is fascinating. And, you know, it's, it's basically that mindset. And it, it, we, we got entrenched warfare about it. And it's not only, you know, uh, <laughs> one of the jokes that some of our, our founders like to say is, you know, um, we really applaud Michelle Obama saying when they go low, we go high. But here at the Lincoln Project, when they go low, we go underground. <laughs> I like that. But and what happened to, to the Lincoln Project? All the controversies yeah. with the founders, has that been straightened oh, it out? Was, it, was mainly, it was mainly a controversy with one founder, John Weaver, um, and some... Uh, very unsavory things that he did. Um, I don't know that um, anything illegal, but truly unsavory. Right, but then Steve Schmidt kind of had a breakdown, and he's back now. But I just worry. Well, I, I think I think that there were. I think that you know one of the things that I think happened was. I remember all of this was in January, and so we hadn't even exited really the election cycle yet for the Lincoln Project. We'd been fighting for a year. Um, against trump and then we went immediately into georgia and so there was this bunker mentality and i uh, my guess is that's what happened with steve is right um, and probably I, I dare was, i say dare i say that i don't maybe you get it but probably steve schmidt rick wilson reed galen i bet they get a lot of hate letters and <laughs> threats made against them yes uh that is true um and i we we've had those discussions before just personally and talked about it, that it's, um, that, that is absolutely true. And, 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 you know, I mean, it's not only, you know, yourself that you're worried about, but then you're worried about your families. Um, you know, you you tell your wife when you get the threat, you kind of should. And then do you tell the kids, Hey, daddy's getting threats. It's bullshit. The people have to live like that. Uh And I support more vigorous prosecution of that. By the way, I represented Rhonda Fields when she got threatened by a guy who said there will be blood and he was coming to the house. I like to fight those battles. I think the Lincoln Project should get involved in that too. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we don't have prosecutorial power. But yeah, I mean, we can bring it to light. And I mean, I think that's that's one of the reasons why I wrote the column I did is because you have to bring it to light. And you have to bring it to light particularly. And I think, I, you know, getting back to Jenna Griswold, um, you know, I applaud her doing this. And like I said, I have disagreed with her on other issues, but I applaud her bringing it up and also pointing out that law enforcement isn't doing a damn thing to stop it right now because that that is a a, a travesty and a danger. Um, and I guess that's my concern is we're just over a year away from elections um, in the state, the 2022 elections. Um, and if they're not doing things right now and setting up the infrastructure to protect our electoral system um, – I think you could absolutely see something that is 
that just makes January 6th look like a picnic in the park. Um, now you're scaring me again because because we won't have we don't have it set up. I mean, it's so the Lincoln Project. And you 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 brought out in your column people with long guns. What happens when they show up? They did in Maricopa County. What happens when they're in downtown Denver? Well, I mean, they did in Maricopa County, and they did in they did at the Michigan Capitol, right? Yes. I mean, and but I mean, what I'm worried about more is you know the January 6th and the Michigan Capitol were kind of. Oh, focus on these two little areas. But if you get them across all the earth, I think what you're looking at with these self-appointed, you know, fraud protection militias um, is groups of little Kyle Rittenhouses running across the country um, who are actually going to fire their weapon. Um, and as soon as that starts going, uh, I mean, you, you, you could have a massacre somewhere in a heartbeat. And, the pro you know, this is another thing. I think I pointed out this in my column. These laws that make mail ballot harder force people to polling places. Congregate. It forces people Stop to physically targeting. show up to places where they can be targeted by these self-appointed militias. I mean, you're, they're literally creating the perfect storm for violence um, in, in an electoral system. It's, it's, it's not, not only is it cynical and, and um, wrong, but it is dangerous. And and that's and it's all caused by Trump. And to make my case still that Trumpism is authoritarianism and fascism, I'll quote General Mad Dog Mattis, who on the way out said, "This guy is using Nazi strategies, and he's deliberately dividing us." I've never seen anybody quite with that skill. What an instigator! And he did it again by saying these January 6th people are being persecuted. Uh, this is the fight of our lifetime against Trump and Trumpism, isn't it? Oh, I, I think so. I think that's right. And I think um, I think I think it's because a large portion of the country has has just not abandoned him. And I mean, not not just not abandoned him, but usually you see former presidents, you know, kind of, OK, we'll go off in the sunset. And enjoy simply being a former president and a private citizen at this point. Not him, you know. He need he needs the spotlight. He needs it all the time, and he needs the the love from his base. And we'll keep on doing that. And he's going to exercise a vice like grip over the Republican Party, um, and and all of the thoughts. It's not even really an ideology. Is the scary part? Um, it's just it's a cult of personality, um, and he's going to do that for as long as he can. And I mean, I, I think that we're – I don't think it's long before he announces he's running for 2024 for president um, because he just wants that spotlight. And he'll do anything. He'll say anything um, to get that to happen. You know? And so I think that's – Man should have been arrested. That's my feeling. Merrick Garland has been a big disappointment to me. What about you? Yeah. I mean I think uh, – well, I mean I do election law, right? A lot, right, Craig? So I think, you know, when you saw the stuff um, about, you know, person number one uh, when in Michael Cohen's case, and he's right. talking about that, uh, person number one is the president of the United States, and he's still prosecutable. In fact, now he is prosecutable. I, I, you know, I, I think, remember, when, when Robert Mueller was doing his report, 
you know, I think Robert Moore was pretty clear. The only reason they didn't go farther and make charges was because they didn't think they could and prosecute the president. Shitty prosecutor. Well, I don't know. He I don't know. A bulldog. I don't know that he's shitty. I don't. I don't know if I'd agree with that. I think he was doing his job. Was I think past his prime. But I think. I think. His... I think the issue was that that they did analysis and they said he can't be prosecuted because of the president. Um, and, right. and he had protection. But then he let other people spin it, and, I, and uh, well, that was unfortunate. But I think he also. I think he was under the presumption that when Trump wasn't president anymore, he would be prosecuted, which needs to happen. <laughs> I mean, you need a more aggressive prosecutor, a guy there. like Rudy Giuliani. Back in the day, your hero. What a fall! Let's end the conversation with poor Rudy humiliating himself again on nine eleven. I think we can blame it on the booze. That's what oh. I would do if I was his attorney. Oh, sure. I mean, so first of all, let me clear up. Not my hero. <laughs> uh, he was. I did, I did work for him. I thought he was a great man at the time, but I've actually since written columns about just how he broke my heart um, and, and is just someone that I just, you know, I... I liked I, him, too. I yeah, thought oh, he was, a, you know, a good, sure. effective prosecutor who took on mobsters. I but like I think, that. Well, but I mean, I think, and I know that I've written before, uh, I think he became what he fought the hardest against. I, I think, I, I, you know, the, the things that he did for Trump were mobster-esque. I mean, it was straight out of one of his prosecutions, right? right. I mean, that what he did in the Ukraine, um, I mean, that's 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 something you would see from the Gambino family, um, who he prosecuted, um, and and I think you know that's that's what's off about it. Should have thrown Trump out on his ass. We want to pat all this shit on January sixth well, and beyond, and as if it was that easy. But it was. It was a good case. Yeah, and I, I think I think his problem is the same as Trump's is. Is they love the spotlight, and he. That was the way for for Rudy to stay in the spotlight was to take those positions, and so he did. And um, you know, it's unfortunate; it's not useful for anyone, and it's, it's bad for the country. But um, nonetheless, we are where we're at. Um, so well, here's the beautiful thing: you are useful to this show. Every September, we should get together, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I just love the wide ranging conversation. And your last column was the kind that I said, "Whoa, that was great!" I did you got, get a lot of reaction? Um, yeah, I, I did get um, a, a pretty significant amount of reaction to it, and folks who kind of looked at me like, "Oh, wow!" And, and I think that's good. And and I, and I, I told when you called and talked to me about coming on your show on this, we talked, and I said, "Hey, look, it's probably something I'm going to write about a considerable bit in the next, you know, year or uh, until the next election." and and probably through 2024, because I think it's that important. And I think that it needs to be brought to light and, and it needs, and bring it to light doesn't mean writing one column. It means harping on it until people are terrified and until things do happen that will protect our democracy, because I think it's just that important. There you go. I hope you keep pounding on it. We love reading you, Mario, in the Colorado sun. It's M-A-R-I-O-N-I-C-O-L-A-I-S. Well, Correct. yeah, that's uh, absolutely right, Craig. And thank you for having me on. And uh, your columns are fantastic as well. I hope that your readers are reading yours, particularly as you write about the Morpheus. I, who knows? You you could become the uh, you could become the national expert that everyone's turning to across the country as this becomes uh, you know some sort of scandalous um, 
It is my um, wheelhouse. It is what I did, uh, and it's Colorado law, and there are fascinating lawyers involved. So thanks for saying that. Yeah, well, I hope I hope a lot of people read it. I, I've I've read your stuff on it, and um, it's it's my number one uh, turn to for uh, looking and following that and how that case goes. So I hope everyone else will as well. Thanks, Mario. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Bye, Craig. All right. Bye. Wow, when you've been practicing law for almost 40 years like me, you learn a thing or two. If you have a legal problem, give me a call, 303-861-2800. At Springer and Steinberg, we do all kinds of law. Call me, 303-861-2800. We will help solve your problem. Thank you. Troubadour, my troubadour, what a week we had culminating with the Nila evening service on Yom Kippur, where I was your guest at Temple Emmanuel, of all things. How are you, my brother, Dave Gunders? I'm well. I'm well, Craig. I'm, and I'm also grateful you came with me. It was fun. I give thanks to you. In fact, I think there should be a song of that title. Oh, there is. <laughs> and yes. it's amazing. I love this song. It's perfect for Yom Kippur, but before everybody listens to it, we need to kibitz about some things. Like I have an alternative career for you, in case you want it. What you thinking? It involves your music, and this song in particular with the reggae style. Have you ever gone on a Caribbean cruise? No, but I I think I know where you're going. Yes. They have like reggae cruises, right? No, I'm telling you that when you go down from Florida, usually the place you leave from, maybe from San Juan, but they have uh, a band when you take off. And normally it can be in the winter towards sunset. And your song would be perfect. I've heard a bunch of bands play. the. They play periodically and they... they right. They're on a deck where everybody can see them and hear them from below, and people are coming, going. But have you ever thought about that? Would you do it? I would. Get me the invite. I think I can do it. And everybody, when you listen to this song, you will know why. Now, you've played a lot of great events in Boulder. I don't know if they had a band at the wedding of Jared Polis and Marlon Reese, but wow, the governor of Colorado got married and with the uh, yarmulkes on, and uh, Rabbi Firestone, I looked her up. She's fascinating. But the headline: uh, Governor and his partner get married in traditional Jewish ceremony. That just kind of cracked me up because, right. yeah, we had a, a little chuckle about that. Right. Tell it from your perspective. Well, first that that uh, that there was a female rabbi, which is not all that traditional. Although there are more now. I mean, and, yeah, if you go back about ten years. And yeah. secondly, that there that these are two men being wed. I know, and everybody kind of accepts it. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful for their children, who I'm sure wanted their parents to be married. And I just give a big mazel tov to Jared and Marlon. I know Jared. I don't know Marlon very well. But to do it right before Yom Kippur? 
That tenorizing too. Fantastic! I think it's so great that Judaism has the flexibility to to uh, you know to, to to preside over this and make it a Jewish ceremony. And the days of awe. I mean, our concept is Rosh Hashanah. God opens the book of life, and then on Yom Kippur it gets closed, and it gets closed at that service I attended with you. I was watching the services this year like NFL Red Zone. I had four games on, the four shoals where I have some affiliation, and I count Temple Emmanuel because my parents got married there, but it was pretty reformed for me. Then there's Temple Sinai, Hebrew Educational Alliance, and then the BMH where the rabbi had a great sermon. I watched them all as best I could, and they were spaced apart. It was about Hamilton, who lives, who dies, who tells the story. That's kind of the Yom Kippur message, if if you take it literally. Right. Who shall live and who shall die. But your shul took the cake. I watched Rabbi Foster, the Rabbi Emeritus, and Rabbi Black. I saw it was outside, and then to get your invite, it was amazing. to Tell everybody about the service and why that portion of the Yom Kippur service is so important to you. The Nila service is the, is, puts closure on the day. So, you know, Yom Kippur, you fast. And it, by that point uh, of the day, usually you're, you might be a little lightheaded and you've, you've prayed, you feel, you feel cleansed if, you've, if it's been a good Yom Kippur. And uh, it's time for the, for the gates to close, for the sun to set. And that's where the, the closure happens. And the music is beautiful. And we were talking about that. Speaking of new traditions, they are all around us. And our great-grandparents would not recognize this form of Judaism. And they might be a little off-put at first. I was raised in a show where you do not have musical instruments. And I know Temple Emmanuel had an organ, and we thought, oh, that's kind of like a church. But since then, music's been incorporated. Your favorite instrument, a guitar, is all over the place. I remember my sister played a guitar at her bat mitzvah. That was pretty cutting edge. But now the music adds so much. And at Temple Emmanuel, last, ni- last night, we're recording on Friday, Thursday night, the end of Yom Kippur. Everybody's been fasting. Well, not everybody, most people. And... Yeah, it was exhilarating because uh, of the band. Tell everybody, because you're the musician. Wasn't it wonderful? Yeah, I mean, I, I really am, I'm impressed with Rabbi Black, and I know he's a, he's a very good guitarist and a good musician, and um, he he has done uh, wonderful things at Temple Emmanuel with the music. I mean, the music was so was so beautiful. He had a band, I, and I we went up and, and talked to them afterwards. It included a bass player, a drummer, believe it or not. He played he played gently with mallets, but um, so it wasn't you know it wasn't too raucous, but but added to the overall um, you know. F- feeling of the of the time and then there was a cello player and a violinist piano player and and a, and a choir and it was outside under a tent and it was beautiful and the neighborhood accommodated it right there at first and grape first and glencoe i spent a lot of time over there carson elementary is next door my nephews went there and when i was at gw i worked as a playground aide at carson elementary to make a little money so I know that neighborhood pretty darn well, and thanks for having me. And we also remark on how fasting gets so easy as we get older. 
Yeah, it wasn't too bad, and it felt you know with, with the music and uh, and everything, just the joy that that you feel there. You forget about that you're hungry, right? But I always have something in my mouth, and so sunflower seeds, uh, chips, whatever, and I'm always drinking some caffeine-free diet coke at night. So the night of Yom Kippur, after you stuff yourself, just to acknowledge that it's a different day. You know what I mean? So that uh, today feels wonderful because you can eat whatever you want. Yes. And, and it just kind of illustrates life, right? Right. I mean, it, yeah, what, you, 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 you take things for granted in life. I think that's what fasting, one of the things that fasting uh, brings to mind is, is, is that all these things we, we, we don't think about, you know, like being able to eat when you're hungry. Uh, all of a sudden there's a difference, there's a change. You, you're hungry and you can't eat or you can't drink. Um, so, yes, the next day it's all the better. Right. It makes you appreciate life. But the concept of forgiveness I think I got caught up in the music. I remember, I think, telling you that I forgive you for when you wrecked the AFC championship game that I had recorded, and you said, Mahomes. And I said, what? You're ruining the game. I know Mahomes is playing great now. Kelsey, you said, and you're giving away everything, and it's been a while since that happened, and I want you to know that I, I do. I forgive you for that, but don't do it again. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I know you forgive. I appreciate that. You don't forget, though. No, because then you were watching Breaking Bad, which I never have, but I can go on the computer and I know it has a surprise ending, and I could have ruined that for you, but I didn't because then I would have had to beg your forgiveness. And But your song is about gratitude, and for you, that's part of Yom Kippur. And this song is so special. I give thanks to you. My first question is, who's you? I left it open ended. It's it's. Uh, I mean, it's 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 God. It's a it's a spirit to some people. It it you know. I I, I like keeping it uh, open in that sense for everybody to uh, you know to consider who who they would give give uh, thanks to you know and feel grateful for. I figured God was part of it because I know you, but the sun, which is always, I mean, it's a classic Dave Gunder song, all the elements, including he likes to talk about the sun, sort of like John Denver did. He did a lot of sun things. And yours is fantastic, but I think the you, and maybe it's still God, is the singer who harmonizes with you. Because when you start saying, I give thanks to you, you're singing with somebody else, and I know you happen to love her. Who's singing with you? And I definitely love her. She's my younger daughter, Rachel. And isn't she evidence of God? Of course she is. And um, she sang a beautiful harmony on this one. It is time to give thanks. We talk about a lot of rough stuff on this show, but as you and I talked about, Joe Biden won. And even though a lot of battles remain, let's be grateful for some terrible situations we might have escaped. And no better way to do it than listening to this song, I Give Thanks to You. Thanks for this beautiful song and music, Troubadour Dave Gunders. Thanks, Craig. Here it is. Dave Gunders singing, I Give Thanks to You.
rays of sunset It fills my eyes So my brain will not forget And I give thanks to you on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bacon. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. 
Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Did I tell you that's a heck of a song, Dave Gunders? What a talent you are. Mario Nicholas, way to go in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Let's visit every September. And Carol McKinley, you are the best. No show is covering more few better than we do. This is what I did for a long time as a prosecutor in Denver. Big cases, I understand the legal concepts and what it takes, but I cannot predict what the jury will do with more few evidence. That's going to be a humdinger, and we will follow along. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.